This podcast is sponsored by the Club Women's Network. It can be lonely working for yourself, so this online support and learning network is here to help women learn what they need to know to stay in business. They meet online twice a month and in-person meetups too. They teach you everything from reels to financial forecasting. For more information, check out theclubwomensnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Mum Mind podcast or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry, I'm a preschool activity and behaviour specialist and I created the programme Kinderama to support younger kids' development. I'm also a mum of two. I'm Bethan O'Riordan, I'm a mum of three, I'm a psychotherapist and I run the online parenting support, the CAM Parenting Community. So each week we answer one of your parenting questions and uh, share our experience to help you help make your life easier. If you have a question for us, email us themummind at gmail.com. And don't forget to hit the like, subscribe button, whatever you're listening to us, because that helps us create more amazing free content for you guys. Yes. So uh, this week we have a guest. We have a very special guest because we well, we always ask what you want us to talk about. And one thing we always get asked is my husband and I are thinking of breaking up or my partner and I have broken up. What do we do? So I'm going to ask our guest, Louisa, to introduce herself and then we will get into it. So over to you. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. I'm Louisa Whitney and I'm an accredited family mediator. So I help couples answer the question, what happens next for them with regard to money, kids, property, investments after a separation? And my primary focus is always about minimising the impact of any split on any children involved. And I think that's where you're fairly unique, right? Because your mediation involves the children. It's not just between the adults in the room. So it can involve the children. It involves a permission from everybody, including the children. So it doesn't happen in all cases, but it's something that can happen. And I'm not unique in the sense that there are other child inclusive mediators in the country, um, but there aren't lots and lots of us. Um, I think mediators are unique in separation in that we're often the people that hear both sides of the story yeah so you know that gives us a, a perspective that perhaps other people don't have and yeah. mediation just to clarify because when I first heard that you were coming on I was thinking a mediator is somebody that tries to repair but you're not that you know this this is somebody is definitely splitting you're just trying to keep all the parties communicating would that be the right way of putting it Exactly that. So I'm not a couples therapist. I'm not trying to get people back together again. People come to me once they've made the decision that they're going to separate and they've got to work out where everybody's going to live, when children will be with mum, when they'll be with dad and any other issues that have cropped up along the way as well. Mm, very it, it's great because I don't know what the law is in the UK but I know well oh, I'm gonna say I know I'm gonna redact that and say I think I know that you have to be separated for six years before you can get divorced so the mediation process is really important because what are you going to do for those five or six years okay so in England and Wales no you don't have to be separated for six years before you get divorced um you can just get divorced before you used to have to say my marriage is irretrievably broken down and that is because and reference it with regard to one of five facts now since no fault divorce last year you can just say our marriage is broken down 
and we would like to divorce. So you don't have to lay the fault anywhere, um, which is a kinder way of doing things. But at the same time, there may still be fault in people's heads, even if it doesn't go down on the paper. So that's one of the things that we're kind of dealing with in the room. Yeah. And I, I think, sorry, I think it changed in Ireland to two years. I think, oh, did it? yeah, I think they, I think they did because six years just seemed like a ridiculous amount of time. It's a really long time. So I think they've changed it to two. We might clarify okay. that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I mean, it's very hard to keep on top of all this stuff. And I work with families all the time, you know, and this is the point where having someone like Louisa is really helpful um, to share the expertise. Louisa, if you want to, so... Anyone that I know that has got divorced, it, there has been somebody at fault. And I've I've experienced friends going through, you know, really bitter, well, he had an affair, he did this, and everybody knows it, to almost the opposite, where they're trying to hide everything that's happened. And I, I'm assuming you have experienced that too. Is there a better way? Is there somewhere in the middle? Yeah, there always is. And, you know, I talk a lot about scale. So like on the one hand, there's this. On the other hand, there's that. But most people are somewhere in the middle. Um, And I think that the vast majority of relationships break down. There is fault on both sides. And fault's a bit of a loaded word, isn't it? You know, stuff happens. We get caught up in being a parent, in trying to manage work. And sometimes people don't make time for each other. They kind of ignore the issues that are happening. And then suddenly you're down the line and you realise that there is no going back now. You've gone too far. And sometimes as a result of that, somebody has formed another relationship and that can be really hard to deal with. So all of these things that have happened, not just as part of the separation, but also stuff that happened during the relationship that people may well have felt very hurt about, very angry about, but perhaps didn't say anything because they were trying to keep a lid on it. Often that all comes out in the mediation room um, and there can be lots of angry words and recriminations and trying to find a way forward from that is not always easy. And it takes a lot of courage to sit down with an ex-partner and talk about what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking for you as a mediator as well, is it exhausting or is it? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of like what the word is. I, I'm imagining all this information coming to you and, and you're helping people sort it out. I mean, it's really amazing, you know, and it's amazing that it sounds quite practical. I, I know that I can imagine anyway that the emotions are totally heightened in the room, but it's lovely to have someone who can help people become a bit unstuck. I imagine a lot of this is like, I've dug my trench, you've dug your trench. I'm not meeting you on no man's land at all, but somehow you get them there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love my job, absolutely. Um, that doesn't mean you don't have to have boundaries with it and kind of walk away from it sometimes. And I have limits how many meetings I would do in a day or a week, because if I'm not okay, I can't help anybody else. Um, I think sometimes it's about saying to people, you can't change where you are. You are where you are. We all are. What you can do is decide consciously what's going to happen next. And you aren't there now. Where do you want to be in six months time, two years time, whatever it is? And how do we then get there to make those arrangements and try and work from that point? Um, but one of the things I love about mediation is that it's not my job to solve the problem for people. I can provide information. I can provide a safe space. I can provide empathy. But ultimately, it's their choice 
what happens next and they are in charge of that and what use they make of it if people have sorry if people have made the choice that they are going to split when when is the right time like when do you talk to the children about it how do you talk to the children about it that's always a great question it's one I get asked a lot and I think it's different for different people and as with all things, there's a balancing act. So on, on the one hand, I have people that ring up and go, we made a decision to separate last week. Can we come in? And I'm a bit like, well, we can have a conversation, but you may find that there's a bit of grieving and a bit of recovery that you need to do before you are in any way equipped to start having conversations about what happens next. Sometimes it can be helpful to say, right, what's going to happen for the next few months Let's just do that plan. Let's then take some time to look after ourselves and then think about a longer term plan. Um, but on the other hand, I also have people that come in and say, well, we separated four years ago and we've taken the time to heal. We've managed to sort things out. And now we just need to sort out the kind of final last bit arrangements. So there's always that kind of act. And I think one of the things people worry about is. Do you tell your children when you have no idea what's going to happen next? So they're going to ask you loads of questions that you can't then answer, which feels quite uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people. Or do you wait until you've sorted everything out so you can give them answers? But there's going to be that period in the middle when you're they're probably going to know something is up. And the amount of people that say to me, our children don't know. Well, I think children often know. Children are hardwired into mum and dad and they know yeah. when things aren't right. And they read stuff, they see stuff, they hear stuff. They know about separation and divorce. You know, you think if you think about statistics of how many people separate, odds on your children are going to have other children in their class, within their peer group, whose parents have separated. So they will know stuff about separation. They will have an idea of what happens. Um, and that can inform how they feel about it. If they've got friends whose parents have a nightmare separation, they might worry that that's going to happen to them. If they've got friends whose parents have separated and it's all friendly, that may lead them to believe it could be friendly. Um, so children are often far more clued up than we give them credit for, which uh, I'm guessing you guys know already. Mm. <laughs> yes. Beth, this is Beth like and... the crux of our work, isn't it? You know, Beth okay. and I know we talk about being honest with kids like Beth and how honest do you think people should be about what's going on? Like you often talk about, you know, if this is adult material, we keep it to the adults. You know, we're not we're not divulging the whole kit and caboodle yeah. here. I mean, if you could ask me an easier question, no, Steph, I'll, sorry. I'll take that. I'll take that question instead of this one. So I think it's about knowing your child. You know, I think it's really important to know, like, so before our call today, I spoke to two parents who had children. They had like six parents, six children between the two parents, right? Totally separate families. Within that, there was three, three eating disorders, one suicidal ideation, one self-harming and one high-end anxiety. And one child hospitalized from an eating disorder was included in that. So out of those children, I would be very cautious because you don't want to fill them with more. Having said that, I always, always, always come back to this story of when I worked with a girl who was self-harming and I spoke to the parents about the self-harm and I said, you have her self-harm has gone really bad. You have to talk to your daughter and say that I've spoken to you. You know what's happening and they didn't. And when she came back the next week, her self-harm was like off the scale. I didn't think it could get any worse. And it had done because she picked up that her parents knew something 
but she didn't know what, even though I'd said, I'm going to talk to your parents, they will know, they will come to you. So I think this is where support for the parents is absolutely essential in in, in navigating it. And, and I wonder, maybe Louisa, I mean, tell me if I've got it wrong. I've got things wrong before, you know, um, that sometimes there, I wish I could say to parents, okay, here's your five steps. This is what you do. But it's that you tell a child something and then you see how they respond and you see how they react. I mean, if things are total bonkers and upside down in your household, which we've all been through, maybe it needs to be said. Maybe kids are picking up on everything. But it's about, it's about telling the kids that they're still really cared for and, and keeping the parents' stuff out of it. Yeah, I agree completely. I think parents often worry that they don't want to say the wrong thing to children in a separation or be accused of saying something that's negative. And so sometimes that can lead them to not talk to their children at all. Um, And I, I know there's been surveys done and statistics on children a significant number of children feeling that no one talked to them about their parents separating they didn't know what was going to happen and what it meant so I think it's really important to have conversations with children but not to have them from the point of view of trying to blame the other parent it's just about this is happening um, and you know let's talk about the questions you might have let's talk about the worries you might have one of the things that I really think is brilliant to do in mediation is to talk about how we tell the children so to plan it so you're going to do it together you're going to have key messages that you want your children to take away from that and I usually say the key things you need your children to know are that they're loved that they're still free to have a relationship with both parents you know dad's not going to get cross if you mention mum and mum's not going to start crying if you mention dad Um, Mm -hmm. And that it's not their fault as well. It's a common thing that comes up when parents tell children, you know, if I'd kept my room tidy, if I'd been nicer to my sibling, would this not have happened? So I know it's awful, isn't it? Um, For them to be carrying that would be horrible. So for them to be able to have that conversation of you to be able to cut that off right at the start and say, this is not your fault. This is a decision we've made. Um, You know, for and people often think, what's the reason? Well, you know, you can just say we're not making each other happy anymore. We don't think that we are happy people living together. You know, those kind of things. And then just see what unfolds. Your children might go, yeah, we guess this was going to happen. And then, yeah. you know, they might part the questions for now. You might come back to them later or they might be really upset and you might need to spend some time with them. You don't you genuinely don't know what's going to unfold sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think sometimes um maybe one parent over the other the the behavior can become quite manipulative in a way of oh god this has gone back years and years i remember one person that i knew you know that the blanket house rule had been no video games but the second they were separated one household had the video games had the top end stuff you must see a lot of that kind of trying to win children over do you know what I mean yeah I think it's a a common complaint I mean I talk about in mediation the three most controversial issues of our time in mediation are children's diet uh, the amount of time they spend on a screen and homework and which parents doing it so I definitely think that's true I don't think it's necessarily always a conscious thing that they're trying to win the children over I think sometimes there's an element of really struggling to sit with your children's pain and to um, recognize it and so it's a bit like 
well, should we just get an Xbox? Should we just do this? Because, you know, then it cheers them up and then you don't feel the pain of watching your child be sad, that kind of thing. And that's a really key mm. thing because Bethan always talks about sitting with yeah. the uncomfortable and how important that is for your child's mental health. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing to say is, I mean, like, don't we all do that as parents a little bit? You know, oh. I mean, I, I think this is normal stuff as well. You know, I mean, I'm a I'm a therapist, whatever that means, you know, but I mean, I get those feelings of like, oh, well, I just want to do this and it'll be fine. And then I have to stop myself and go, no, it's OK. So I think it's really and I have friends who've split up and got divorced. And I think logistically as well, because I mean, this might be stereotypical, but with my friends, this is what's happened. The mum was on the lower income because she took time off to raise the children. So she has less money. So it's really tricky then when dad takes them on all these, like, you know, I'm thinking of one of my good friends, kids got taken off to Florida and she took the kids on a caravan holiday. But, and that can be really tricky, but I mean, I think the biggest thing out of all of this is, is that children know how we feel about them, right? So we have to say, this isn't your fault. We still love you loads, but we then have to act like it. That's a really important part because then you, then parents get into all the blame and the this and the that, and, and that just has to be parked to one side to raise the child. Definitely. And I think um, you also have to think about the views children can take on things. So sometimes if children perceive that one parent is more upset than the other, or they're somehow been wronged, they can then feel that they've got to protect that parent because they worry. So, you know, I think it's a really difficult thing when you've lived together in the same house and you separate, you are both going to have periods of time when your children are not with you and they are going to be longer than they were before. And that's a very difficult adjustment for parents. I think, you know, if you take a the stereotypical view that you were talking about, Bethan, which is stereotypical because it exists quite a lot, but yeah. it's not the case for everyone. You know, mum has always been around for the children around school hours, and she's now facing the fact that there's going to be weekends, time after school when the children won't be with her. And there's a grief in that, you know, yeah. having to allow and trust that dad can do this, even if he hasn't necessarily always done it. And for dad, you know, even if you come back and you've worked long hours, when you come back to the family home, you can see your children's toys out. You can go and stand in their bedroom door. You can see them in bed to come back to a place then where the children aren't there. It's really, really hard. And being able to recognise the grief for each other, I think, is really, really helpful and to try to avoid that situation where children start saying, I don't want to go and see the other parent because they're worried about leaving that parent because they think they're sad. I know they're sad. You know, children pick up on a lot. I can remember I was really I was dealing with something and I did a really cheerful bedtime with my son because I'm all cheerful and we're doing a story and we make it nice. And then I tucked him into bed and I said, good night. And they said, you OK? And he said, yeah, I just wish you weren't sad. Oh, and he knew because he's yeah. a, you know, emotionally sensitive person. And even though I'd done my really cheery bedtime, they knew. So, you know, we can think they don't know, but they do. Along with yeah. that kind of grief process of not spending the, the, the kind of 24-7 with your kids, there's also an element of letting go of control, I would imagine. So, you know, if one parent isn't doing all that's expected, the other parent can't control that and has to kind of let go of that and accept that that's the way that parent is going to parent. Does, would that be true? 
Uh, completely. You know, if you're the parent that has always had the balls in the air with the kind of communication from school, the school events, the doctor's appointments, the dentist appointments, then in order to hand that ball over for a bit, you've got to trust it's not going to be dropped. And sometimes you really might not trust that that's not going to be dropped, despite what the other person may say. So I think that's a really, I think it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, there's, there's somebody that I know that I've worked with a lot who did a circle of security parenting course. And she talks about, you know, there's the parent who's holding the child with the hands. And then the parent that's not with them is the hands around the parent that's got the children's hands. Um, and that image is really powerful and has mm. always stayed with me. And I, I like it as a way of thinking about it. But I think it's challenging for a lot of people when there's a lot of emotions running high. Yeah, I'm even thinking of times where I've been felt like I've been caught in the family separation or the family divorce with, you know, like, I, you know, say, say I'm working with the teenage child. Uh, who's the point of contact? You know, because the mom says, right, you can contact me because I'm paying. And then the dad says, well, I would get texting. I don't normally get included in things. So will you include me as well? So then I just say, OK, guys, I'm not doing this. I have to bring everyone together and say, what are we doing going forward? You know, because it is that kind of you don't want to leave anyone out, but also not not get part of the game playing process and all the unconscious stuff that's being played out along the way. Yeah. You know, it's a. Uh, so just to recap a little bit, I know we're not at the end, but just, just to keep us on track. So if, if there is stuff going on where somebody's been unfaithful, we're not talking about that openly with the children. We're trying to communicate with our partner that we're all going to stay on the same page, at least for the sake of the children. So I'm assuming mum or dad, whoever feels they're the injured party is perhaps dealing with that with another counsellor would be helpful. And then mediation, you're helping with the nitty gritty of day-to-day -day existence. How is how is that going to work? How How are the weekends going to look? How are the holidays going to look? That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly that. And I absolutely agree with you. When anybody's dealing with anything post-separation, it really helps to have a therapist because it helps to have a safe space where you can just go and offload and process what's happened to you. Um, and ideally, yes, I think it's important to remember that you might think that your ex-partner is the, let's say, biggest idiot going but your children still see them as being their other parent. So their yeah. view of them hasn't changed. For them, they're still the same person, even though for you, they are a very different person who you don't like very much. And it's very important, I think, as a as a an I was a an adult child when my parents divorced, it's very important to remember that they are half of that person. Yeah. So no matter how bad that person is, they are half of that person. And if you are slating them, that parent to them, they feel like half of them is wounded. Yeah. And I think particularly for children, they kind of instinctively know that they're half mum and half dad. So if mum now hates dad or dad now hates mum, that has to create internal conflict on some level, even if the child wouldn't articulate it as that, because that's sort of, you know, quite a mature thing to understand. And that's why we all of the research we we've seen says that it's not separation that causes issues for children. It is the fact that they get caught up in parental conflict between mum and dad. So if you can keep that away from them, they are much likely to fare better and not have long term negative effects. Um, and I think, you know, co-parenting is really hard 
and going from being in a romantic relationship to being in a functional co-parenting relationship, there is a huge amount of trial and error of how do we communicate in a way that works for both of us? And where are the boundaries? Because we need to massively rejig the boundaries we had when we were together as a romantic pair. And that, you know, is a, a big process and it requires a dialogue about what works, what doesn't work. And sometimes people get hung up on trying to make things perfect before they start anything. But actually, if you can find something that you think will be good enough, see how it goes, then come back to it and say, actually, this worked, this worked, but there's a real problem here that we need to sort out. Then you're kind of creating it from a practical standpoint rather than a theoretical standpoint. Mm. Once all this emotional kind of stuff is done like say say we have an arrangement and it's working what what happens if we do have a child that's saying oh i don't want to go to mum's this weekend or i don't want to go that must that must be i can imagine that being very hurtful absolutely i mean when with child inclusive mediation where the children come and talk to the mediator one of the preparations we do is talking about what might they say how would you deal with that often i think it's not so much about I've suddenly decided I don't want a relationship with one parent. That can happen, but it may be more about something that's happening. So, you know, examples of things that I've seen come up. Um, we really like spending time with dad, but he does all these different activities with us and we're exhausted and we'd actually like to just chill out. Um, or sometimes there can be issues that are completely unrelated to the parents themselves. When I was doing my training in child inclusive mediation, we got told about a situation where basically there was a family pet that the child felt responsible for. And that actually led to them not wanting to go and see mums because of some issues with that pet. Oh. And no one would have predicted that that was actually the issue. It just becomes, I don't want to go and see that parent. And then the parent that feels rejected is then having a go at the other parent saying, well, you're clearly turning them against me. And then it escalates from there. So having that safe space, whether it's with a child inclusive mediator, whether it's with the parents themselves or a therapist, where a child can actually explain what they're feeling is so important. I've got two questions. Um, where does mediation fit in the legal process? Uh, and I know that you're in the UK, we're in Ireland, but in terms of can someone get mediation to finalise a divorce? Like, you know, because I know that you can get separated over here through a barrister or through a mediator. Is it the same with you or, or where does it fit in? Yeah. So essentially, the, the process of getting divorced just ends your marriage. So you could get divorced and you could not resolve any other issues. Obviously, that wouldn't be necessarily be terribly helpful. So there yeah. are often issues that crop up around money, around children, and you have to find a way of sorting out those issues. So if you do it through mediation, then you can work everything through. You can come up with what you want to happen and you can then put that into the, the relevant documentation that you need to create that agreement going forward. Now, with finances, it's probably going to be pretty binding and a kind of this is what's agreed. With children, there's always going to be things that will evolve because arrangements that work when your children are five are not going to work when they're 15. Um, so, And there may be issues that crop up along the way that you need to address, whether it's about schooling or about a medical issue or just about something your child's struggling with. 
the more able you are to have a productive conversation with each other, the easier it is to sort things out. And, you know, you don't need to be Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin holidaying with new parents (laughs) and creating that wonderful thing. It can just be that you're just able to have a conversation when you need to. So is it that families could come back to you as their family life evolves and develops? So they could come to you when they're five, they could come when they're 15, but but you'd be there to guide them as family life grows and develops. It's not that people come to you for a one-off six sessions or whatever it is, and then they're done. They can come back to you as things change. Yeah. And I have some people who just come back every few years as things sort of if they get stuck or something has happened that they need to navigate just because they know it's a place where they can have those discussions if they're struggling to have them between themselves. That's lovely, isn't it? I'd always like you in my day to day life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But you know, if I go to my. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because I'm thinking like I go to my therapy once a week, but that's or sometimes once every two weeks. And that's just for me. And literally, I just say everything I want to say. I figure it all out. And I come back on Friday afternoon. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for everybody now. And I can imagine that if I was separating from somebody, it would really help me separate all my separation stuff I had going on. And then I can just come and be like, okay, now I'm your mom. You know, to have that real clear separation of because this stuff takes a lot of thinking, even as you're talking, I'm thinking I hadn't really thought of that in that way. And and all the stuff you need to think about. I mean, we are only one person. So to come into you and have you know what to say and do to help cultivate the right conversations. Right. Because this stuff is kind of I don't know where to begin. Help us. People can come to you. It organizes the mind. It takes the stress away. And you can get on with life then. That's kind of what I'm taking from this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, if I had a pound for every person that said to me, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I don't know. I probably have several properties around the world. No, what you need to do when you separate. No one tells you that. No one teaches you this as part of school or anything like that. The fact is that you only start to navigate it when you end up in that situation. And I think I can't remember who I once heard the term washing machine head, but it is just all those thoughts that kind of tumble around in your head and you think, okay, well, I need to sort that out. Oh, but I can't sort that out until I've sorted that out. Oh, but before I do that, I've got to do that. And, you know, you're tearing your hair out because you can't, it's like having a ball of wool and you can't find the initial starting point to pull it off. So being able to have that space with people where you can sit and you can talk through right, what's the what's the most pressing thing for you? What are we going to do next? And have that kind of path of steps, I think is, you know, really useful for people. Did you have another oh, question, man. Bethan? Think... No, I was going to say, I think that's oh. a great place to leave it. Did you have yeah. a question, Steph? No, no, I thought you said you had two questions. So I was just double checking that you answered your second one. Yeah, no, well, Louisa kind of answered both of them in one. I mean, I'm just thinking, God, what a gift this is. I mean, I hope that people who are questioning a separation or or, uh, you know, that they that they listen to this podcast and because it just sounds so nice to have the support wrapped around both parents in an equal way. That's the thing. You're not there to be on the side of anybody, which I think so much of this so much of separation people are whether it's friends family lawyers barristers everyone's on the side and everyone wants something from somebody but you're there just to help everybody together work out how to move forward I think it's some gift I think it's really amazing and and so tell us um how can people find you how can people make contact with you how can people find out more about you 
So the, probably the easiest way is to look at the website for my mediation practice, which is lkwfamilymediation.co.uk. I'm also on pretty much all social media. I'm on um, Instagram as at louisa.whitney.1. Um, I don't think I'm hard to find on the internet because I spend so much time on it. Um, <laughs> and if you are looking for a mediator in England and Wales, then you can also find somebody via the Family Mediation Council's website. It's really important that you have someone that's registered with the regulatory body because that means they subscribe to professional standards. And I'm uh, assuming you do this online and in real life, do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and okay. We did a little bit before the pandemic, but now we do a lot after the pandemic. So we do it in person or online. And I would imagine sometimes that's a little bit easier. Like I can imagine being plugged in in a room on your own is actually easier than being face to face with someone, particularly if it's acrimonious. Completely. And the good thing about being online is I would say to people, if you're struggling to look at your ex, have a post-it note by the screen and just put it on the screen. No one knows. <laughs> no one knows it's there, but it Brilliant. just helps you to not have to look at them. Oh, um, I love that. The, the only kind of issue is that if people are still living in the same house, it can be a concern if they're in the same place to do the meetings, because then if they come out of the room and it's been difficult. Yeah. So we do a lot of kind of safeguarding before we bring people together and look at how will the meetings work best? How can we arrange this in a way that is helpful um, and navigates any concerns that either either person might have? Yeah, because you can't put a post-it note on their face in real life. No, no, they <laughs> tend to object to that. <laughs> a gigantic cardboard box. But I think e even that last bit that you said, yes, with the post-it note, but the bit about safeguarding people, you know, because I work with people as well, obviously. And I know so much of the time people just want to deep in, dig into the work, but it actually causes more sparks and you kind of put people in a worse situation. So even helping people slow down and say, look, I'm going to safeguard both of you. I'm going to look after you both. And even saying, right, one has to go somewhere else for the meeting. I think stuff like this is so profound in parents' lives and so helpful that they know that they can come to you and that they are safe, you know. Um, so thank you for joining us today. I don't, does anyone else have anything they want to say? No, I think it's been brilliant. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. The Cam Parenting Community is my online support for parents. It's waitlist free and inside is myself and a child and family therapist. So together we offer you 42 years experience helping children and family to solve your parenting problems. If you want to join us, head to my website, bethanoreardon.com and be the change your children need.